0: Many things impact a compliance program, how it runs and how well it works, but nothing has the same impact as the constantly changing and evolving technology landscape. In ComTech, a podcast on the intersection of technology and compliance, co-hosts Tom Fox and Valerie Charles will help you understand what changes in technology mean for your compliance program. Here's your hosts, Tom and Valerie. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox, back again for another episode of ComTech, a podcast on the intersection of compliance and technology. As always, I'm joined by my co-host, Valerie Charles, and we are both thrilled today to have Philip Winterburn, uh, the Chief Strategy Officer at Conversa. So first of all, Philip, uh, welcome and thank you so much for taking the time to visit with us today.
1: Uh, Thank you very much, Tom and Val. appreciate you having me. Looking forward to it.
0: Philip, I would just like you to talk a little bit about your professional background and, and the reason is that you come from a discipline very far afield from compliance and ethics and you have been uh, you even have an undergraduate degree in mathematics. But I've, what intrigues me is because of that academic uh, discipline and your professional background, you bring a, a really a different set of eyes uh, on, to the compliance scene. So could you tell us a little bit about your professional background?
1: Sure, certainly. So um, my background, my early years were in um, started with actuarial science, but then quickly got into software engineering and was a software developer for several years and then into sort of management consulting, um, really using software implementations to uh, re-engineer processes and help organizations accelerate outcomes as a result of putting new technology in place. And I did that for about 20 years before getting into the uh, startup world. And uh, that's about 10 years ago when we came into and created Conversant, knowing very little about ethics and compliance at that time, which we can talk about a little bit more. Valerie?
2: Well, arguably, you know, we're just at the beginning of the sort of data forward, approach, at least to proactive compliance. I know I think there's been probably a little bit more retrospective root cause analysis type work uh, being done in our field. But in compliance, I I think we are truly at the tip of the iceberg in in the things that are going to happen in this industry. Um, Just just starting, I guess, from 10 years ago when you got involved, what are some of the major changes and innovations that you've seen um, to date?
1: Sure. So I think there's, talk about it in two two ways Uh, first of all what we've seen within ethics and compliance uh, and sort of within the profession and then also what i've seen in terms of um, impact on the profession from outside so let's approach it there so from within the profession i think when we started about 10 years ago it was very much people were focused on how do i get my board report a little quicker How can I get a nice little chart? It was very mundane, uh, very one-dimensional reporting. And over the course of the 10 years, we've seen this um, embracing of um, data science by some and a demonstration of the real value um, that both more data uh, from different sources with rich analytics tools can actually give you phenomenal insights into your ENC program. And then on the second side of this, in terms of what's going on in the business, is this acceleration of digitalization um, and social media and technology has created this explosion of data points um, within an enterprise. And so the need to actually understand those and use those, the opportunity to use those is significant. The emergence of artificial intelligence is now creating a pressure point around the ethical use of data, and are we using data appropriately? And then, lastly, is are we protecting that data appropriately? So the the data protection risks within organisations have gone off the charts compared to where they were ten years ago.
2: So I, you know, Tom mentioned that you have this background in kind of pure mathematics, which is something I, I didn't know about you. Do you find that it, um, that it's helpful in sort of your 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 you know, work at Conversant, or, or is it almost sort of so far away from the from the clients and the buyers who tend to have legal backgrounds? Um, I'm,
1: I'm curious about that. Um, so it's a long time ago. I won't tell you how long, because that will age me, but it was a long time ago. Um, I was drawn to it because pure mathematics, because it lacks application, it's, it's actually the pure essence of what sits behind all applied math, is um, just fascinating to me. I had a passion for it. I love it. Um, it is, and it, I think what it gave me um, in studying it gave me the a real emphasis around logical thought, uh, problem solving, but above that pattern recognition. So looking for patterns in things. And, and that is something that we've been able to apply within ethics and compliance in terms of how to solve problems and create new solutions within the ethics and compliance space has been around looking at what patterns are we seeing and frankly an area of business that has been underserved by technology and seeing patterns in other areas that we can then apply and give outcomes or um, benefits to the ethics and compliance professional as a result of bringing those patterns to play.
2: You know I think it's I, much like you I'm a big uh, data analytics enthusiast and I think I think part of the problem is that it sounds so daunting you know the, the mm-hmm. concept when people yeah. hear about it and then they heard the DOJ say you know, you, you need to look at your data. And everybody said, oh, no, what is that? And and I think what's interesting is talking to, you know, compliance leaders, you realize, you know, it doesn't have to be super scary, right? I mean, everybody has data. These are just information sets. We all have them. Usually they're, unfortunately, in lots of different silos, but we have them. And I think, you know, when you realize the power and the insights that can come from those patterns, um, it, it becomes more exciting and more people get more curious, but I'm, you know, I wonder how your conversations with CCOs and and others in the field um, have evolved through the years. I mean, are you getting these days, especially even in the last say, you know, three years, I feel like there's just been this big uptick where the comfort level I I think is, is greater. Would you, would you, would you say that too?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think um, there is, there is a growing recognition that, and I'll say ethics and compliance rather than just pure compliance. With ethics and compliance, certainly a growing recognition that um, using data to make data-based decisions um, to derive insights about your organization, there is a recognition that that is now expected. Um, I think there is still a, a challenge for many uh, particularly, and I apologize to all the lawyers out there, but um, there are particularly people in compliance who have come from a legal background have not had the opportunity to have any training in data analysis. And so I think there's a there's a skills gap there that organizations need to look at in terms of as we are now in this world where um, data is key, data is essential. And if you want to have real insights, you need to actually manage data and analyze that data you need people with data analytics training. Um, And so I think that we're seeing this in many of the leading programs where the hiring profile has shifted. We see organizations now with data scientists and data analysts. And as you mentioned, it doesn't have to be big and scary. We're not talking, you don't have to go hire an army to do this, I think you can start simply. Um, But having someone who actually understands the fundamentals of analyzing data, knows how to use some of those tools, knows how to bring data together, has an understanding of how to keep data clean, um, that those skills are lacking in many compliance programs today.
2: And then just talking a little bit too about, you know, behavioral psychology, thinking about, you know, how how do we, how do we not just use data? S- some of the critique that I've heard of some of the, you know, forward thinking programs that we're all aware of is that it, it reinforces the hall monitor uh, reputation, you know, that, that we're policing people. And I think, I think that to your point, it's it's not just compliance or regulatory compliance, it's it's also ethics, and it's also tying in somehow, you know, behavioral science, um, you know, h- how do you think that works? And have you seen some some people beginning to uh, take that approach successfully?
1: Absolutely. I think they're very complementary disciplines, although I would say they're very different. There's probably people disagree with me, but I would say they're very different as well. Um to me, the data is about, it's not hall monitoring, it's about understanding. So you're looking to understand what is happening in the organization and getting away from just pure tracking, but trying to understand root cause behind things. Why why are things occurring in the organization and looking for not just correlation in data, but causality. So this is causing this event to happen or this behavior to happen. And then if you understand that, then that's when you can start to really get into the behavioral science side of things of understanding how different triggers can drive certain human behavior. And I'm super passionate about the the psychology behind all of this because it is fascinating as you dig into uh, behavioral science, behavioral ethics is how, um, frankly, how flawed our brains are in a way in terms of how, we assess our ethical behaviour. I mean, there's strong reasons for us why we've survived and, and done very well as a species. Um, but we have the the belief that we are ethical. We can do unethical things and still justify those and and move forward and believe looking back that we did we behaved ethically. And there's you know there's myriads myriads of examples of ethical fading and how that can hurt occur and how. Just the framing of a situation can change the way we make a decision. I love the example. I'll just go on a quick tangent. I love the example of, I think it was a a daycare, and people were getting late picking up their kids, and they're having a problem with people turning up late. And so the daycare teachers had to hang around and wait for parents to show up. So they decided, you know what I'm going to do is... We're going to start charging you if you're late, because that's going to create a penalty so people will stop doing it. And what what it actually did was it shifted the mindset of the individuals. And what the result was that we had more people showing up late. And it was because for the parents, they now recognize, oh, this is a financial decision of showing up late. If I show up an hour late, I only have to pay $20. I'm willing to do that. So I'll show up an hour late. Whereas before, there was an ethical or moral or human decision to make of, oh, I'm making the teachers stay late and that's mean. And so we've got to be really careful how we frame um, problems to people because often I see in business, the reason we get ethical failings is because people are looking at problems as business problems and considering them and making the decision based on the business principles rather than looking at them as ethical or human problems.
2: Right. It's fascinating. It takes me back to kind of reading Freakonomics for the first time and, you know, having that kind of wow moment. Um,
0: Yeah. So, uh, Philip, you talked about the early part of the conversant journey where the customers wanted uh, reports more quickly or how do I, how can I uh, actually get data or any information from the hotline and as much as that would be interesting to talk about, it's really much more interesting with some of these other concepts that you've brought in, pattern recognition, behavioral psychology. So I really wanted to maybe focus on how have you been able to, and I know it's a passion of yours that you've talked about for many years, but you've been able to bring a lot of those disparate concepts into not only the conversation about compliance, but more importantly, uh, the conversant suite of tools. How has that been received from your customer base? Is it Uh, Something that that people really uh, have appreciated, that you can bring these additional insights that perhaps can drive uh, pattern recognition in ways that they hadn't been able to before. And how do you you, and then really we drive not only this conversation, but drive this into the compliance solutions that you and others at Conversant are creating?
1: Yeah. So as as I mentioned at the beginning, when we came into this industry now almost 10 years ago... um, we knew very little about ethics and compliance. And so the credit for the innovations and capabilities that we've brought to market over the years really lies with our customers because it's been the conversations that we've had with customers, thought leaders like yourselves that have helped us uncover opportunities and to take those ideas and then manifest solutions within the technology and give those back to customers, learn from that process, and continue. And we still continue to learn today as we work with our customers, bring new ideas out, evolve them, and iterate them. And it's very much that collaboration and partnership um, that, frankly, we've been able to build the company on is working hand-in-hand with our customers. This is not something where we've magically thought these things up on our own. These are just working together with with our customers.
0: Uh, My other observation is, like probably most companies you have, a variety of customers on the maturity scale of a relationship with conversant, a relationship with a conversant suite of products, and sort of thinking about these things. Uh, when you have conversations with companies that are new customers or really are using only one or two tools, uh, after some period of time, do they, they begin to see how they can use data, how they can use it as a mon- continuous monitoring tool? and an actually continuous improvement in, and will engage with you in that conversation about uh, really implementing a data analytics solution, even if they don't call it that?
1: Absolutely. And as you say, there's a maturity spectrum. And you know it varies very much by what industry people are in, what the needs of their particular organization is, what the risk profile they have. So it's not a one size fits all. And so the, the technology needs to be adaptable to meet the varying uh, profiles of organizations that we deal with, but you do see um, as, as customers engage in using technology and realize the, um, the opportunity and the, the business benefits they get out of that in terms of scale, of reach, of risk mitigation, that it creates a thirst and hunger for more. And so we do see customers come in, they, they'll buy one product from us, they'll implement it, and then over time, gradually take on more and more of the platform. And obviously, with analytics, the more systems you have, the richer your analytics are, because you're getting more data points um, to lay on top of each other. And it's that layering of data that gives you real insights when you can start to, to compare sort of HR attributes and then job specific information with behavioral information with financial information that's where you can really start to detect where you have gaps in your culture and weaknesses in the culture of the organization that fabric so you know where to to apply energy and um, you know we continue to innovate today and frankly i wish i could wish we could deploy solutions faster there's this this sort of richness of ideas and concepts that I'm dying to bring to market, and uh, but there's a there's a pace to this as a business that you have to go through. So working with customers, we're gradually continuing to bring out uh, new ideas and new concepts that customers adopt, and then other customers come on and start using those as well.
0: Philip, as you know, I, I like to say that more effective compliance programs equals more efficient business process, which equals uh, greater profitability and ROI. Is, is that type of conversation that you and your colleagues at Conversant are able to either begin to be having or have with customers that we are driving ethics to the heart of business, but we're also driving ethics and profitability in a way that perhaps were not thought uh, together previously?
1: That's uh, absolutely. I think they're That question sort of summarizes very much what's happening in the industry today with um, if you look over the last 12 months or 18 months, the the stakeholder capitalism announcement in the middle of 2019 sort of was a manifestation of this realization of this shift that um, a company is more than just returning money to the shareholder. A successful company has five stakeholders, and it's by fueling those five stakeholders and serving those five stakeholders that companies succeed and can excel. And we've seen that with the emergence of ESG. Um, Just recently, the World Economic Forum publishing the stakeholder capitalism metrics that companies are now signing up to. And there's this recognition now that this is no longer about don't break the law. This is about how you drive... Very rich values based organizations with a common sense of purpose, striving to a common outcome. And because they have a common sense of purpose and common set of values, you take care of the behavioral issues. And if you can create that passion and alignment in an organization, you will far exceed the performance of your peers. And so, yes, we're absolutely having this conversation about this shift in days of old when it was like, how do I justify the existence of the compliance team and get additional funding because they're just the department of no. That has shifted now with organizations talking about how do we actually drive the business by engaging the company in our vision, mission and values, in our code of ethics, in how we operate. And and it's that conversation that I find super exciting. And I think ENC is so well positioned at the moment to really grab hold of this movement around sustainability, around environmental, around governance, the ESG movement, the stakeholder capitalism, all of this comes together, I think, and it's gonna be a very, very exciting few years for our profession.
0: Well, Last uh, June, I believe, you and I did a webinar together where we looked at Q1 and partial Q2 uh, anonymized uh, reporting data from hotlines. And it was largely around uh, reports or questions or issues relating to the coronavirus. And and uh, March fifteenth is sort of the date everything shut down. And, and uh, you observed a spike in health related issues coming into the hotline uh, that maintained it did uh, level out a little bit, but it was still maintained a higher level than we typically see. The insights, though, I thought were were perhaps the more interesting. Uh, Aspect because on the webinar you talked about how a compliance officer might use insights around uh, health and safety issues and what that might mean for an employee base. Could you maybe talk about the information that's available from hotline reports and and it's not simply just I saw a violation or I saw a bribe paid. It's that kind of employee concerns and how that can help drive ethics to the heart of business. Absolutely, I'll
1: I'll bring in two. Um, related concepts here. One is the insights you get from your data. The other one, the insights you can get from benchmarking data, because part of what you're talking about is our benchmarking view where we're able to look holistically across all customers and look at these macro trends. Um, I think within an organization, obviously there is rich insight that you can get from how people are talking to you. If people are using anonymity more or less, are they hiding behind that? Is there a trust issue you need to be concerned about? Are they going through the helpline or are they coming through the, the front door and talking to the NC profession uh, group is is also key. Um, what we saw in the, the benchmarks for that, for actually looking back now over the whole of 2020, was a significant shift in how people were using the helpline. And what we saw occur was that... Um, Health and safety reports went up dramatically, 80% year over year increase in health and safety reports. So clearly that suddenly became a top of mind for people. And we, But we did see a drop in ethics and compliance related issues. So the core sort of E&C issues and a drop also in some of the HR issues. And so maybe this is part of the work from home uh, thing that's manifesting there. But more concerning was this increase in the use of anonymity across the board. And so we saw the what I think was probably societal fear from the coronavirus pandemic pervading into organizations where people, as a result, were then using anonymity, uh, using the helpline to hide behind that more than they would pick up the phone and speak to their boss and say, hey, I saw this thing going on. So... I th- it's, uh, it was interesting how the societal shift was changing the behavior within companies. And if you didn't have visibility to those benchmark data, then you wouldn't have that context. And so um, this is part of one of the things to talk about when you're talking to your board. You don't want to go in and just talk about your numbers. You want to talk about them in context of what's happening outside, because that obviously has a big um, impact on the meaning and, and implications you can get out of that data.
2: I uh, just on that point, when the Trump administration was talking in the you know mainstream news kind of nonstop about the identity of the whistleblower relating to the Russia investigation, um, I I have heard from you know anecdotally from from several different uh, chief compliance officers that they saw uh, anonymity numbers shoot up. The sort of the association with being a whistleblower and the concept that you could be found out yeah. as the identity of the whistleblower. That the sort of news that you know the way it was, whistleblowers were being discussed in the news. Yeah. What there was sort of a direct reaction that they saw in the hotline
1: yeah. uh, right away. That's fascinating. I'll have to go back. I'll go look up the dates and go look at our data and see if yeah. there was a if there was a spike around that time or not. That'll be interesting to look up.
2: Yeah. I mean, what, what about other ways that sort of the COVID health crisis has changed, you know, your approach as a, as a business? I mean, and I think we'll continue to even as, you know, the vaccine's distributed. It seems like work from home is probably here to stay.
1: Yeah, I think so. So there was obviously the immediate impact on us as a company. Um, we did shift to work from home uh, pretty quickly. March 12th, I think, is when we, we sent everybody home. And we have remained that way to date. Um, both here and in the UK. Um, so that that has had a, an impact on House as a company um, and we've put in our own procedures and protocols of how to keep people um, engaged, how to give people support. You know, you have uh, people, two parents working with kids, having to deal with young kids in the house, you know, and homeschooling at the same time as trying to maintain careers. Um, you have people who live on their own, having that isolation. Uh, so I, I um, have a lot of, empathy for, for those individuals and um, the, the mental health issues that have, have come out of this. So yes, we're, we obviously had those things to deal with. From a, from a customer standpoint, um, what we saw was, well, first of all, all of our outreach that we do around, we do roundtable events, uh, which used to be in restaurants, and we do conference events, we used to be in conference uh, centers, um, all of that went online and went digital Um, which has been interesting because the, in some ways it's given us bigger reach. So our conference that we did um, in October had four times the attendance of our prior conferences in person um, because we had that much bigger reach and people were able to attend from everywhere around the world and attend at relatively low cost um, because they weren't traveling uh, or paying for the event. So Uh, that that was almost a benefit. And so looking forward, we can see there are now things we've learned about that, of how do you bring digital and in-person together to actually maximize the value of both. Uh, Working with our customers, we've actually worked with them in terms of how do you improve your outreach? Because one of the biggest challenges for the ethics and compliance profession is how do I maintain the employee connection to the values of my organization, to our code, to our ways of behavior, to our norms, when everyone is now at home and reverting to their own home culture. And so how do you maintain that glue and get that cohesion and looking at techniques using the ethics and compliance portal and outreach and campaigns to keep pulling people in? And how do you keep that connection so that uh, you maintain the culture of your company and don't have it just sort of dissipate as people move away?
2: Yeah, I know that's a really good point. Um, What do we think companies and, and especially Corporate compliance programs should be thinking about, uh, you know, heading into the future, say twenty twenty-five and beyond. Where where do you think we are with data analytics? Are we still going to be all over the place, where we have certain companies that are just nailing it, and other companies that, you know, still don't understand it? Or do you think maybe the government will actually put some teeth behind uh, some of the guidance and recommendations that it's made, and then we really see the industry drastically change? What do you think? Uh,
1: I think we, we're going to see increasing adoption of analytics. I definitely think that. And so that that bell curve of early adopters to laggards is, gradually, is going to shift and uh, it will continue to get greater adoption. Will it be government driven? I don't know about that because what I've seen in the last few years, this accountability culture that has come up with, you know, powered by social media, that individuals now have a voice that can be amplified around the world instantaneously. I, I expect that the employees today will continue to push organizations to be better versions of themselves and customers will continue to push organizations to be better versions of themselves. And so we, I think we will see a broader adoption of ESG, of ESG reporting and metrics because customers employees are going to demand it. I don't think it's necessarily going to have to be a government mandate but I, I think it'll be driven commercially.
2: I'm so glad to see the trend of ESG being owned by compliance. I, I just think it's an area that you know really requires you to understand the business and to be able to sort of engage and operationalize and and work with all the different functions and I you know when it sits with health and safety and, and other other areas I think maybe, Maybe it won't be um, as effective. So I'm, I'm glad to see compliance kind of adopting it.
1: Absolutely. And then I think we've got, you know, as I mentioned earlier, within compliance, we're going to see a skill shift, right? So the continuing shift from the the old compliance department that was all lawyers to now a more um, mixed group of individuals that has a combination of legal background, data analytics background, behavioral science background. And sort of this multidisciplinary teams coming together, maybe even some marketing skills in those teams of how to get message out, how to engage people. Um, bringing that together, I think those teams are going to be far more successful um, in the future than what we've seen in the past. I think that's another shift we're going to see. I think when you look at the macro level, there's some fascinating trends. We, you know, We have increasing polarization in society, particularly in the U.S. and in parts of Europe. Um, We see the media fueling those to some extent Mm -hmm. and everybody sort of living in their own versions of their own reality with their, their consumption of information reinforcing their perspectives. And so I think that creates a real challenge for business and for ethics and compliance teams in terms of you have employees coming to work. Who may at home live in and see different versions of the world than you do or than each other does. And so, how do you bring them together in a working environment and create that alignment and engagement around the company's purpose, the company's brand promise, and the company's values so that you maintain that integrity of behavior and performance within the organization? I think that's a, a real challenge for the ENC profession to grasp because someone has to grasp it and drive that forward. And then I think the, the accelerating digitalization we're seeing is going to mean we've got more data flying around, uh, more technology, decisions being made faster. And so really understanding the data in your enterprise is going to be key. And then lastly, artificial intelligence is, is here and live and well, and is only going to grow. And so how are you as an ethics and compliance professional inserting yourself in that product development process um, to ensure that the AI products that are being built are being built with ethics at the center of those products and that you're not building unethical uh, products that are amplifying biases um, through automation.
2: Fascinating, it's a fascinating time. Um, We are out of time, but I love talking to you about this and I'm sure that our audience would love to be able to find you to talk about this more so if they would like to uh, find you or learn more about uh, Conversant or Converge, uh, how would they go about that?
1: Uh, Well, they could go to converge.conversant.com. It's an online community. It's free to join, and it has a whole load of uh, thought leaders in there, including Mr. Fox himself, um, driving a lot of the, uh, the thoughts that are going on in that community. So that is a great place to share ideas, or you can find me on LinkedIn or drop me an email at pw at conversant.com. I'd love to have a chat with anybody about this. I love this stuff.
0: Well, Philip, thank you so much for taking the time to visit with us today. Uh, I do love these conversations as well. And I can only say, uh, I hope we can continue the conversation.
1: Absolutely. Thanks, Val. And thank you, Tom. Appreciate it.
2: Take care.
0: This is Tom Fox. Thank you for listening to this episode of ComTech, a podcast on the intersection of compliance and technology. I hope you'll join us again next episode where Valerie Charles, my host, and myself will visit with another guest in this most exciting area of compliance. Thanks again for listening. ComTech is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network.